0: This is the Future of the Future Show. I am your host, Mateo Berebejillo. Tim Paget, thank you so much for being here.
1: Mateo, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. My pleasure.
0: Tim, today we're going to talk about the title industry, title insurance industry, and how technology, AI, RPA, and other automation technologies have and will continue to have an impact on the industry, right? But for the benefit of the audience, I want to get started with the basics, right? What is the title insurance industry and what is its place in the real estate industry?
1: Yeah, title insurance, it's probably best to go ahead and define title insurance to talk about the industry. So title insurance is a type of unique insurance that protects your ownership in the real property. In most cases, it's going to be your home or some commercial property or investment property you may own, but ultimately it protects that ownership. And uh, how it's different from other policies, uh, title insurance actually protects the owner from past errors related to ownership history rather than future risks like fire or flood or something similar to that. So the insurance itself is different than it's covering past events. Uh, It's also different in that the premiums only paid uh, once. So when you buy your property, in the case of owner's insurance, um, you pay one premium at the beginning and that covers it for the entire time that you have the, have the property. So um, it's covering past events. It's a one-time premium. And then uh, you know, from a standpoint of the the value of, of title insurance, um, you know, it creates a, a situation where uh, there's a lot of work done to insure a property for that title insurance policy, including the title search. Um, any sort of curative matters, things that have to be fixed related to the title, all those things happen before you actually close and purchase the property. So title insurance not only involves that policy, but also getting that title in such a place that it's very clean at the time that you actually purchase the property. So I want to make sure people understand title insurance and what it is, or if we even talk about the industry. Expanded beyond that, the industry also involves um, escrow and closing as well and many title insurance agencies around the country and title insurance companies also provide escrow and closing services as part of the issue and the title policy so um that's you know when you think about that part of uh, of the transaction and buying or selling real estate or uh taking out a mortgage on real estate um the title insurance company really is central to the the insurance the transaction they're involved in touching pretty much every party that's in that transaction because they're facilitating the transaction for and closing right through the issuance of the title policy after the actual uh, uh, property transaction closes and the deed is filed and mortgage if that's uh, applicable filed as well.
0: Can people buy a house without title insurance?
1: Um, they can. They can in many places. Um, there's an opportunity to purchase and usually it's something that is uh, um an option for them to opt out of buying title insurance in the case of of, of purchasing property they typically can't opt out of in, insured title insurance for purposes of a lender so if they're taking out a mortgage or deed of trust or security deed uh, depending on what the security instrument is in a specific state um, they're going to be required by that lender to, to at least buy um, some sort of a loan policy so something to protect the lender which covers that for the entire covers that particular lender for the entire time that that, uh, that, uh, uh lien encumbers the property. Um, but owner, owner's policies are, uh, an option, but certainly recommended by anyone in the real estate business and recommended by all people in the title insurance business because of, of the, uh, fact that again, at the time of buying that property, it's the best time to purchase it. It's that one time, uh, premium, uh, fairly low related to, Um, you know the overall closing cost of that particular property and then gives that owner coverage over the entire time that they own the property so if they own it 50 years they have that coverage for the full 50 years of ownership
0: very good very clear thank you tim
1: you bet what do you do today in the title insurance space so um i currently own a company called market edge consulting um i um I do what I've done for a lot of companies individually over the last, say, 12 years, and I've been in the business for just over 36 years. But for the past 12 years, I've built out multi-state, national title production capabilities for uh, agencies as well as underwriters. I spent most of the last few, you know, 12 years of my career doing that. Um, I decided a few months ago to, to spin off my own consulting firm to do that for multiple companies, and that involves setting up. Uh, title search, title examination and commitment issuance, um, uh, title curative, as well as title policy issuance, operations for companies that are interested in either building those operations that they don't already have them or expanding them into other states through uh, different types of licensing opportunities and working with partners to be able to do so. And part of that involves not only building out um, teams, either internal or external teams that they can outsource to to do that, but looking at automation, and technology to be able to create highly optimized um, operational processes for the issuance of title uh, insurance. So that's what that's what my company, Market Edge Consulting, does. And and again, yeah, it's not much different than what I've done for other companies in the past. But it's uh, it's it's the focus of my of my company and the firm that I just set up a few months ago.
0: How does your ideal customer today look like? What how do they look like? What are their challenges?
1: The ideal customer that uh, comes to me now is typically a company that's either looking to build, it to, maybe they are a lender, or they're a company that's in the real estate space that doesn't necessarily have a title component or title escrow and closing component, and they're looking to build that out from the ground up. I've actually built two separate companies, uh, title agencies, from the ground up, starting you know with just me, and building that into multi-state operations across the board, doing business in multiple states. Um, that's one of the optimal sort of approaches I take or target type of companies that I'm looking for. Um, it also involves companies that may also have operations in, say, three to five states, but they're looking to expand nationally or even on a multi-state basis. They're looking to do that um, in the most efficient and cost-efficient and operational, uh, efficient way possible. Um, the last would be underwriters that are looking to do the same, you know, sort of mid mid-market underwriters that are looking to expand beyond, say a smaller footprint and expand beyond that, you know, that particular area that they're already covering to look at national coverage and need help with building out those operations again, whether it be related to the search piece, the examination piece and the underwriting piece, or policy issuance or curative pieces based on, you know, whatever state requirements are for the states they're looking to move into. Very I also work with a number of companies in the technology space and this is a very, very part of my, really big part of my, um, uh, my company and the success of my company is having partners that I work with in the technology space. I am not a technology person by trade. I'm a title insurance person by trade. I know for enough about technology to know what I want and what I need. Uh, but at the end of the day, I can't do it. I have to work with partners. And so I'm lucky to have a number of partners, including, uh, uh, partners in the you know outsourcing space outs- uh, partners in the automation space that can um, that I can work with and contract with to help these particular customers build out the type of operations that are looking for so I help them with the strategy about how to do that but then bring in partners that can help us do that as part of those processes and that expansion
0: very interesting. so if someone needs to build an operation or expand an operation or improve an operation you've been there done that you can help them and you have the network of specialized partners that can help you do that uh, in a successful way
1: exactly and I've done that with multiple companies the companies that I talk about as my targets I've worked for all of those types of companies companies doing all of those types of things and really um that's what spurred me to start thinking about starting this consulting company was um, I've had a number of companies come to me and, you know, hire me to do these sorts of things. And I said, I love the setup. I love the strategy involved with it. I love the build out. And I'd like to do that for more companies rather than just getting into a single company and doing it It make more sense to do it on a consulting basis. And then I have the partners that i work with. I know, and I've tried different partners, some better than others, uh, that can provide pro- pro- the types of services I'm looking for. So I contract with companies that I know I can rely on, and I know these companies can rely on to give them the best opportunity to build out the, you know first-in-class services across the board, whether it be related to the title search side, the examination, policy issuance, the curative, escrow, closing, whatever they're looking for.
0: So I was going to ask, how did you get to where you are today? And I want to hear your story. And it seems like consulting, it's both a decision, but also a consequence of a lot of people trusting you and coming to you and asking for advice, and and you realizing how much you liked that, how much you liked helping companies do some of the things you had already done in a successful way, right?
1: Um, Yeah, I'm very thankful that I've been able to work for some terrific companies and with some terrific, very knowledgeable, and great leaders in the industry. I've been able to do that all throughout my 36 plus years in the business. I've always had somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit. I owned my own company for 11 years from 95 to 2006, which is Seoul. Um, I started another multi-state agency um, for a a national lender um, and had the ability to build that from the ground up. As part of that process, I learned a lot about the pitfalls of how to do that and, you know, what the what the uh, challenges would be of that process, both you know, from a uh, you know, not not just uh, the uh, the challenges of just starting a business, but also how much is involved in building a business related to insurance, which is a highly regulated industry. So, um, had the ability to work with some great leaders, have a lot of different build a lot of contacts and and great people that I could rely on the industry to do so. So when I set out to do this. I knew, you know, kind of what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. That gave me the ability to be entrepreneurial again, if you will, because the last few years I've worked for, you know, big companies and not that it gets working for big companies. That's how I learned a lot, but it gives me a chance to kind of go back to what my roots were, which is really starting in smaller companies or working with companies that are looking to grow and expand and is more along the lines of, you know, when you're 36 years in, you start to think about what is the last seven, eight, 10 years of your career going to look like? And, um, you know, the security of being in a big company is great, but the but the excitement of helping build something brand new or help somebody expand something that they've been thinking of expanding for years and maybe now have the opportunity and the funds to do so is just, I mean, it's it, you can't put a price on that. And uh, it's, you know, what gets me out of bed in the morning is what really excites me. And then having the ability to then add technology into that. Uh, which is you know something that's always been a passion of mine. Like I said, I'm a title insurance guy, but with a tech, uh, sort of an affinity for tech and seeing the way tech's, tech can help this particular industry uh, grow and expand and improve, um, that part of it has been a big part of why I made the decision to go in that direction.
0: Did you always plan to become a title insurance professional?
1: no i didn't and uh, everyone asks people in the title insurance business and i don't know how many people will be listening to this that are from title they'll they'll understand this completely but anybody in the title business has a story as to how they got into it i i'm no different um i started in the business in 87 i was pretty young i was right after my freshman year of college um i did not get very good grades my freshman year of college and my father set me down and said well you're going to need to you know you better find a skill what are you interested in? Because right now, if you don't get your grades up, you're going to finish college. What's going to be your skill set and what do you want to learn how to do? And um, he was in the real estate business. I had an interest in real estate and I said, I'd love to get into the real estate business anyway. you know, any kind of experience I can. And um, one thing led to another and I was hired to be a title searcher for uh, a local uh, law firm in Richmond, Virginia, where I grew up. And uh, ended up working for that law firm all the way through college, Uh, every summer, every Christmas. Anytime I had time off, I was working for that firm. Um, You know, like I said, I I did it because I wasn't sure where my future was going to be. Fortunately, I made it all the way through college. My grades improved a lot because now I had a, you know, I had something I was working towards. I had something that I liked. Um, I can tell you, you know, from that point, uh, you know, even, you know, going through the three years and working for that company and then coming out and graduating from college, I wasn't sure that I would stay in the title business through all of that. And probably many times thought I wouldn't. This is, you know, just a means to an end. And over time, I really grew to like it and uh, grew to like the people in it. I grew to like what it stood for. Um, It has, you know, been a great industry for me to be in and to grow in. It's changed a lot. In the last 36 years, it's particularly changed a lot in the last 10 years. Um, And uh, that part of it's kind of what keeps me really interested in. If it wasn't for that change, I'm not sure I would have stayed in it all this time. But, you know, the need for taking an industry, which tends to be, you know, was always really focused on paper, is focused on historical records. So kind of old in its nature. Uh, always attracted me to be something that always needed constant improvement and efficiency improvements to it. And it's, you know, it's what's really kept me in the business all that time. But it's been a great, great journey getting to where I am now and sort of starting out just to make a little money in college to get to the point where I am now and still be in the industry. I'm very grateful for that. And I'm very thankful to the people that I've been able to work with and for during that time because every one of them have contributed to, you know, being where I am today. And and it uh, contributed to me to have the knowledge to, to be able to bring that out to other people and ho- hopefully um, expand that knowledge with, with other folks that are you know, either in the industry or looking to get into the industry.
0: How did the job look like 36 years ago, right? You were working with the attorney. What, were, what was your role? What were you doing there?
1: Um, I would drive from courthouse to courthouse and do two things. I would run what's called a current owner search, which basically involved abstracting or writing down information related to who owns the property, what liens are against the property, mortgages, visa, trust, um, other involuntary liens or voluntary liens are involved with that, um, providing tax information, all that. And I would write it down on a piece of paper that was already set up as a form. Um, I would also record documents. And at that point, you had to Back in the day, you would you would go on and go into the books and you would look from the time, you know, the original title uh, search was done and you would run it forward in the book. And then once you looked in the book, you had to go into a stack of documents and actually look through documents that were sitting in a pile to be recorded that day to see if any of those affected your property. So you had to go through each one of those, Julie. Um, and you had to sign off that there was nothing new. And then you would go through and record, the, record those documents. You would take that. I would take those along with whatever title searches I'd done for the day. And uh, I think I can't remember, but I think I used to take those back to the office. Even at that point, we weren't really faxing uh, from those particular offices. That came maybe two or three years later. Uh, but there were times when I had to call up and say, you know, everything is clear. We've got just recorded because that's a that's a place. Uh, Virginia was a place where you had to record first. So I would record the documents, call, give give the um, whoever the assistant on the, from on the court, phone, public phone, public phone, yeah, pay phone, or our phone in the in the county record rooms. Back then in Virginia, people smoked in the county record rooms, so you know they were a lot of times they were full of smokes and smoke, and you had all you know attorneys in there. Let's visualize me doing this. But that's let's visualize this. You go
0: there, right, and there's a room with how many people? Um, half of them smoking. Everyone is like going through documents, lots of papers everywhere. Right, and you are right. young. You are. It's it's how is the rest of the people looking like? I'm asking this because it's funny. I'm I'm a I'm an attorney, didn't work a lot as an attorney, but I did a lot of work going from courthouse to courthouse and doing more of the, you know, uh, case file, et cetera, et cetera. But some things in common with what you are describing. So that's what I like about the trying to show the ambience to to the audience and, and for them to understand how it looked like.
1: I absolutely love um, that you said that. And when I think about it, I have great fondness for it just because, again, that was the foundation that I was, you know, everything that I've done was built on. And actually, I go back to those things a lot. Not not necessarily the smoke of the courthouses, but, you know, the basic process of going through and actually using those documents um, to, um, you know, to abstract and then underwrite the title insurance policy a lot of it's still the same you know it's just it's the way that we go about getting that information and where how the data is out there is different but you know i go back to a lot of those things because that's how you know the industry was built and it's 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 interesting um if you start in the industry now you're not going to start like i did you know a lot of i kind of kind of use the a- analogy that you know the, the first what i did probably the first five to ten years of my business is either um, typically done now by either outsourcing those uh, particular duties or automation does it. So, you know, the first five or 10 years that I built the foundation of my career on, you don't start there anymore. You sort of start kind of in the middle, which makes it a little more difficult. And so drawing people in the industry, think about that. If a lot of those things are now automated, you have to have to more of a technology be- back, you know, back, back then I was, a, you know, political science and business major and didn't have a lot of technology background. These days in the industry, if you're looking to get into it, you're going to have to have some combination of the same thing I had, which is an interest in historical documents, and and you know have some curiosity about um, the title insurance process and the ownership process. But you're also going to have some technology background in order to be able to get up to that higher level of where you're going to have to start to degree your career in the business. So, uh, but to give you some, you know, to give you a little more related to that, I would drive to typically in a day about five different warehouses and do that. Um, you know, calling. And it was, and I found myself at certain days actually running into the courthouse. I was a, you know, 19, 20, 21 year old guy. I got my, I used to keep things in a little, you know, over the shoulder um, uh, briefcase because back then people didn't really use backpacks that much. I had a briefcase that I would take, take things in it and, you know, make those calls and all those types of things. And it was, again, it was filled with attorneys and people like me running documents back and forth. And And then I, over the, you know, the time that I was doing that, I probably did that sort of thing in roughly 35 courthouses in and around central uh, Virginia. And so I learned a lot about different courthouses and how they operated and got to know the people, which was a big part of that back then. You know, you want to get anything done, you had to have somebody you go to and you talk to to him. It's a lot more in personal business now because there's not as much of that. Yeah, some of it in some places, but not as much as it used to be. And so yeah, it's it, it in some ways it hasn't changed, and in other ways it's changed drastically.
0: Did you do um like Christmas presents and stuff for the different uh, uh courthouses um people?
1: Uh we did. So if you were one of those firms that was regularly there and I worked for a firm that they knew, you know, the the attorney that I worked for um was a volume a, a real estate attorney. So you know, uh, we had more than one of me. There was four or five people that did this and going to different courthouses. And so um, we would definitely take Christmas presents to all of the deputies in the courthouses um, back then. And we certainly hit all the ones that we did pretty regularly. That means at least once a week. And, all, and typically, at least once a month, we would make sure we got those. You didn't want to be the one that didn't do that back then, right? If you didn't drop those co- it had to be some cookies or, you know, Hickory ha- Farms enough basket or it had to be something you had to take out there because if you didn't do that um you were going to be the one that was remembered as the company that didn't do that and when you know they were, uh, a, were not going- priority for something to get done it was typically you'd be on the bottom of the list so yeah i, re- I remember around christmas time one of the things i had to do was take the christmas presents in addition to my recordings and my and my uh and my current order title searches
0: did you get to know the city uh or especially the areas around the courthouses like the, you know, very good and the spots to go, you know, grab something to eat and everything. Do you remember that?
1: Yeah. And some of this, this is another thing that hasn't changed that much. Um, Typically you had different offices. So back then you would go to circuit court clerk would have the records room with which mostly deeds and liens and everything related to that taxes and treasury would be another office. Probate might be another office. Um, So you'd have to go to different offices that were there. Um, yeah, parking was always at a, at a, at a, you know, minimum. You had to go and try to find a parking place. Some places you had to pay to park. That was always frustrating cause then you'd have to run back out and refeed your reader and all those types of things. Um, invariably there was always a restaurant or a couple of restaurants, depending how big the courthouse was and how big the city was. Um, and then we typically have a bar and by four o'clock there were attorneys at that bar, there were paralegals at that bar. And- you know, even at times later in my career, I would be at that bar too. So it's a, it's kind of one of the ways that we would wind down and meet each other and meet people and learn about, honestly, learn about the business too. That was, that was just part of the social, uh, life of, 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 working in and around the courthouse. And you know, one of the things I loved about that too, was I worked with a lot of people I competed with. So these were companies that they were working for companies that I competed with, but in that courthouse, we all helped each other out and that's how we learned, uh, we. Um, you know, I can say, I would say a lot, I got just as much education from people that work for other companies as I ever did for the companies I was working for when I did that, because we talked to, to one another and do those sorts of things. I I spent more time uh, in Cincinnati um, after I left Virginia and graduated from college. I, I spent a lot of time in Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati area, and I, spent a lot, you know, I had an office when I had my company down across from the Hamilton County Courthouse, and it was the same thing. There were some bars around there, and Number of offices you had a different offices you had to go to, but it was a really tight knit group of, of attorneys and paralegals and title searchers and examiners, and we all knew each other. We all said hello to each other. We knew we worked for competitors, but if there was something we were running into that was trouble or something we need to learn about, we we leaned on each other because at the end of the day, we want to do what's right for the customer. We want to do what We want to do, in that case, what is right for um, for the industry as a whole. And I, I've loved that about this industry is it does have it's competitive. But it does take care of itself in many ways. And, you know, I've, I've always loved that about it and sort of that foundation was built in those houses, and, and then, you know, first 10 years or so that I was in, uh, and sitting in those.
0: What skills are more important for a title insurance professional? I
1: imagine that attention to detail. It's the number in- one people tell me if, you know, ask me that and I said, you have to be having attention to detail um to to be in the title business if you're not interested in details or you' your only big picture that's you know certainly you can run title companies but you're probably not going to be as uh, passionate about learning about the business if you don't have that most people I know that are have done really well in this industry they have are very detail oriented they have a um, you know a, a fondness for being in detail oriented environments and learning about lots of different details and have interest in data and all those types of things. So I'd say that's the number one um, skill that you would need to have in being in the business and and, and you know have an interest and focus and being detail oriented.
0: What's the scariest issue you remember finding? You you were going to file a record, you wanted to get it done right. And then sometimes I imagine you found something that you were like, oops, this one it's you know hard to approved the way it looks like today. We need to get this sorted out.
1: Yeah, I've run into a few, not too many, thank goodness, but I've run into issues that were intervening liens. So something was filed since the last title search. I've also run into issues where I caught something that was actually a lien before the uh, um, the, the effective date of that title search. Um, and just running back the records, actually saw something that was not included um, and, you know, if there's, you know, we would always add a few days in or maybe even a month or something in just to make sure that we're catching everything. And I've seen things that have shut down closings before. So you've got folks that are, you know, in that case of a record first place, when that happens, it's really difficult because it's already closed. and It's waiting to disperse. Um, so that's really difficult. And in other ones, it might be something where it's now going to delay the closing itself and that's going to have everybody dis, you know um, dissatisfied as part of that process. But Again, that's why we're there. We're there to look for those things. We're not there to gloss over and make something good. That's not good. We're there to report what's not right so that it can be fixed. And so you have to be focused on that part of it and make sure you're very diligent in that piece of it. It's not, you certainly want to make your customer happy, but at the end of the day, we've got to do what's right um, from an insurance standpoint. and Make sure that what we're providing to that customer is what they're paying for.
0: How does the industry look like today?
1: What challenges is it facing? Um, the rate changes and what's happened, um, you know, over say the last year to year and a half going back into 2022 and all the way up until now have put a real strain on the industry. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of look at the unemployment numbers when they come out and I think that's not, that does not look like our industry. A lot of people have been laid off in the industry, uh, that includes not only title insurance, but the you know, mortgage space and, and other parts of, uh, that are related to the business. Um, it's been a tough few years and I, you know, 36 years, I've seen a lot of ups and downs. This has been a really interesting one to have the economy look as good as it it, it should in the data numbers and be so tough for this particular industry. And, you know, then the, 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 the housing crunch, uh, related to rates going up, people not wanting to get rid of their homes and people having enough money and the economy being good enough that people want to buy homes, then there's not enough for them in inventory. Uh, to be able to buy, because you know rates are abnormally higher than they have been, and people don't want to give up those low rates to to get a higher rate, uh, has created a really interesting and difficult situation for the industry as a whole. So builders are building as fast as they can, um, but a lot of the you know pre-owned homes are just not going up for sale because people don't want to move up those interest rates. So it's there are challenges related to that within the industry, and then the, the industry itself is in flux just be, you know because of changes in the industry from a technology standpoint. So more automation, um, more um, certainly AI is going to have an effect on things. It started with RPA originally, with robot, or with or bots and and relating, um, utilizing bots for different parts of the process and then adding AI, or AI on top of that, at least from the title production standpoint, to improve on those bots uh, and improve on that particular automation is really changing the way that it goes. That is a real effect because a lot of those tasks are being done by people. So if you're now having bots do those, it has an effect on what those people do. And it's kind of interesting, I'm kind of inflighting. This is a topic I like getting into because um, it's something that I always work on as building production teams is um, trying to figure out a way to balance out the use of automation with that need for the human touch. And you know, when you're looking at moving people out of what they typically did in their tasks, I don't want to move people out. I, I, I always go into something thinking, how can we create value for the people that are there? And there's a way that automation can be done, especially in our industry, because if there's there's still a need for that human touch, a big need. That's a really big part of it, and especially when you get into the more difficult work. But how do we create automation and use automation and technologies to improve the process that's more of the mundane task? And give more time to the to the to the people involved with it, actually doing the higher value work and creating that value for them. So, I never go into something saying I want to fully automate it because I'm not sure that a lot of the things that we do um, could be or need to be fully automated. I think there's always that need for uh, because of the nature of what we're doing and how important it is to the customer on the end of that transaction of having that human touch involved, um, but. That use utilizing automation in such a way that it makes the person that's involved with that even more valuable. So if if I think if you're using technologies and and taking approach in technology in the title business in such a way that improves the value of the people that are involved with it, it's a win win all the way around. It becomes a product that's much more efficient. It's a product that's much more cost effective, and it doesn't lose its value in the industry as a whole. And I, when I'm saying industry, there I'm talking about the real estate industry.
0: Got it. So when you think about the the future of the industry, technology is going to play a huge part in it, right? And it's already playing a huge part in it and you see more automation coming. But the way that you think about automation is balancing that with the human touch and really improving the value of the people working in the industry and the people that are customers in the industry. Right.
1: right. And, and honestly, people that love and you know, want to continue to be in this industry, they do do need to adapt to that. And, you know, some do that better than others. I was not always one that adapted quickly. I've gotten much better at it over time. You know, you start you start out and you do things a certain way, uh, you know, maybe 10, 15 years in, it's really hard to make that change. You don't stay in an, in anything 35 years without adapting over time and changing the way you look at things. Yeah, I think people in this industry have to do the same. Some people are never going to want it. you know, I kind of tell people and everybody's worked with me I certainly say this. Um, I think there's always three people, you know, in the, in, that are involved with the build out. And, um, you know, you're going to have those early adopters, people that buy in right away to, you know, hey I see the technology, I see how it can help me, I'm on board. Then you've got the slow ad- adapters, right? The folks that are like, well, I'm skeptical, I got to see how that's going to go. Then you got the no adapters, people that are like, not. It's never going to happen. I'm not interested. You got to know who those folks are in your organization, and you're going to make decisions around all three of them pretty early, and really be supportive of those first two. Probably move out the last three, which tend to be your smaller set. But people that again that are willing to adapt, whether it be fast or slow, they're going to be part of that change. They're going to be interested in it, and over time they'll they'll um, they'll adapt to that particular process and become better because of it. I've seen it. I've seen it. You know. Um, certainly, over like I said, early the big changes have been over the last ten to fifteen years, and I've really, really seen that in a lot of folks in the industry over time, including old folks like me that have been in over thirty-five years.
0: So you talked about different technologies and automation, but are any specific technologies or changes? Um, do they, you know, which one gets you excited the most? Right? Uh, what are you seeing? And maybe you can talk about specific applications like, okay, you know, now AI is being used to do the title search and it's pulling data this way or this other way and you can customize the search um, and you can, you know, the there are companies that are using AI to uh, create their own system and it keeps learning from it. So I don't know, right? I'm making stuff up, right? But what gets you excited the most
1: there? couple of things number one technologies that do automate as much of that search process as possible because to me i think the people aspect of that needs to be in the examination so the underwriting taking that data and actually underwriting risk against it i think pulling information and pulling that data the more automation we can get related to that and that you know it's, in many cases first started with rpa and now includes ai as part of that process to you know, improve on the RPA and actually expand more into AI opportunities uh, with the data itself is, I think, um, required. I think that's where uh, this is going to end up taking us forward, is in that part of it. The other place I'd say is AI related to um, uh, plant building and data across multiple counties. One of the big challenges in the industry is every county in some places, municipality, is different in the way that they have the data, the way it's dispersed the way it's collected, how deep it is in an online fashion versus having to go to that particular jurisdiction to get the data. Um, Having AI um, in a more automated fashion, in a really faster way, pull more of that um, to the forefront where we can actually pull that data um, remotely is going to be a big part of taking a lot of that forward. And you see some of the quick, you know, really big plant builders out there, title plant builders in the industry, which are building, you know, databases of, of information based on county records. Um, they're using AI, uh, to pull in more and more counties. You know, it used to be three, four hundred counties that were known as sort of title plant counties in the U S well now it's going into the thousands because there are now technologies out there that allow you to build that data much more effectively than there have been in the past. So to me, that's really exciting. Um, that's getting us closer to, Something I got involved in in the late 90s, a, a task force as part of ALTA, uh, which was a standards task force and was involved in MISMO and other types of standards uh, initiatives, uh, which is getting this standardization in place that makes this data much more usable from place to place. Now, you know, again, you can't mandate 3,600 plus counties to go out there and you know create the exact same standard, um, but it does make it easier to pull that information the, the more standards they have related to that. And again, AI is now being used to make it easier to do that than it ever has been before. And I think that's only gonna continue as that technology evolves.
0: For anyone that wants to get into the industry, you mentioned it already. You said, look, you gotta look into technology, right? Um, but when I listen to you, this is what comes to mind, Tim. You got started going to the courthouses, looking at files. You know, For years and years, you looked at so many files And you train your eagle eye, and you train your attention to detail, and you learn so much, right? That's probably going to go away. Like you said, you said, right now you got to enter into the industry at a different level, and so you got to know technology. Does that concern you with regards to kind of the, the junior training that we used to have? And that's kind of, you know, how does someone learn and get into the industry with with that being a way and technology taking such a big part of that?
1: It's a huge challenge in the industry right now. We've been talking about it for most of the last 10 to 12 years, um, that this is a challenge of bringing young people into the industry and drawing them in, and not only drawing them in, but then getting them the skills that they need to be successful in the industry. And it really comes down to a couple things. Number one, what's going to draw them into the industry is something that is new to this industry, which are the technologies that we talked about. So there has to be interest in AI and the use of data. Um, So, you know, before I I had interest in real estate, right? I wanted to be, you know, I want to be in the real estate business. And this is what came along to me. What was dropped in my lap was the opportunity to be entitled. And and therefore I stayed there. But um, now I think you're going to have people that are more, Interested in this industry because it's a data-driven industry. They're going to say, data and the use of data and automation related to data really interests me, and so I'm going to get the skills needed to take that type of interest forward. And that's that's where a lot of folks that are, I think, uh, you know, are coming into our industry or can be attracted into our industry are going to come from. They're going to come from more technical schools, where you know, in the past it's typically been attorneys or people like me that are interested in history and interested in more liberal arts. Uh, types of things that got interested in the first part it's now more of a technology it's becoming more tech driven and more data driven from a digital standpoint that's going to draw people in from you know maybe schools and backgrounds that it didn't in the past that's going to be a change that's not a bad thing it's just a change it's different in the way that it's going you know what the people that it's going to draw in and the type of skill set that is going to be required to be successful either very good tim
0: one last question what do you do when you're not working?
1: <laughs> um, I, you know, it's uh, it's funny. People ask me this, and they my two things actually sometimes go hand in hand. I love to travel, um, and anyone that knows me is like, if I'm home a weekend, they're wondering where what's wrong with my Wi-Fi. Are we sick? Uh, we're usually going somewhere. I've been to all 50 states. I've spent at least one night in 43 of those 50, so I've, I've actually really in we have this funny thing that my wife and I say if you don't have, you have to have at least one financial transaction outside of airport security <laughs> to say that you've been in a state. So I've been in 50 based on that criteria. And like I said, I've spent a night in at least 43 of them as well. I'm working on the continents next. Um, I'm, uh, I've, I've only got three of those, but I've got a fourth one coming up in Australia early next year. So uh, looking forward to adding that and, and then uh, potentially one day getting down to Uruguay and visiting with you, hopefully egg another continent in South America and um but it's been you know it's okay, that's something that's a passion of mine the travel piece of that I grew up um when I was a kid people want to be astronauts or lawyers or doctors or whatever I want to make maps like when I was a little kid I would draw maps and make up places and kind of draw how to get there and directions I've always been good at directions and so it isn't all that surprising I got into title it's part of what I do I'm involved in you know laying records and and looking at maps and all those types of things. And so um, it goes hand in hand with my job that I love travel. That's part of it. The other thing that I love is sports. Um, I particularly love American football. Um, it's um, pretty much any weekend in the fall, starting late August, right through early December, I will be sitting at a, a live game somewhere. And every I, my friends will attest to that. Uh, I go to a lot of different teams and, 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 you know, games that are fun to do that. And um, that's, you know, that's how I meet with my friends. That's my wife and I share that same passion. So we have a lot of fun doing that. And and then, you know, I spend a lot of time traveling to see my my free kids. They're grown now, they're in different locations, but I get a chance to see them as well. So travel and and sports are my passion. And usually I try to tie the two of them together so I can really enjoy myself when I'm not worried.
0: Beautiful. First, you are officially invited for a barbecue at my place.
1: i I will do the honor i'm officially in you let me know the time of the play so that will be there
0: that's up to you you let me know where you you just get a ticket and let me know and the second thing is if you if you play football when you were in in high school or college or anything
1: i did not so i played basketball from the time i was six i'm six foot three uh and it's very skinny. i'm not skinny now but anybody knows me would attest to that too but i'm i was I was uh, a skinny, really tall kid growing up, and I played basketball uh, all the way through high school. Um, I loved football, but I wasn't as good at it because I was a skinny kid. So, right, um, did fortunately one of my sons was a really, really good football player and a good basketball player and a good soccer player, and I ended up coaching him in all of those things through um, well, his for his his lifetime. And I've had that love for football, but it really picked up steam when I started coaching in youth football. Uh, and in youth basketball, so um, yeah, I didn't. I did play sports. Um, I wasn't good enough to be really good at them, but I, I really love them. I'm now. I'm more partic- or I'm more uh, uh, spectate than participate. But uh, but I do love sports, and I love being around people that are in sports.
0: I will say what we say when we go surfing: the best the best player is the one that enjoys himself the most uh, at the court.
1: Right. Then that's, that's exactly right. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Very good.
0: Tim, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. I hope we can do this sometime again. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Mateo. All the best to you as well.